Welcome to The Spin Cycle. I'm Maggie Sarachek. And I'm Abby Greenberg. And together we are the Anxiety Sisters. sisters and welcome to our show. Back in June of 2018, we received an email from an anxiety sister asking us, what do you do when your mother is the cause of your anxiety? Do you remember that question, Max? Yes, I do very clearly. The blog we wrote in response to that question generated so much feedback. Literally hundreds of women came forward to share their stories about their mother-daughter relationships. And that's when we realized that we needed to talk to a real expert which is why we invited today's guest to join us. Through her workshops, books, and blogs, Karen C.L. Anderson helps women take a compassionate look at the troubled relationships they have with their mothers and or daughters and guides them to reveal patterns, heal shame, and transform legacies. She is the author of several books, Difficult Mothers, Adult Daughters, A Guide for Separation, Liberation, and Inspiration, we think is a must, must read, and the upcoming guided journal, Uh, I think it's coming January 14th of 2020, the Difficult Mother-Daughter Relationship Journal, a guide for revealing and healing toxic generational patterns. Mags and I are so thrilled to have Karen with us today. Hi, Karen. Hi. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, well, our people demanded it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes, it's, it's always a very popular subject, the relationship between mothers and daughters, and, you know, particularly how that affects mental health, you know, as we grow up. Yep. So we were, we were just wondering sort of how you came to this work and a little bit about yourself, if you could tell us. Sure. So I have a mother. (laughs) Good thing. And and it's, it's interesting because it was about 10 years ago that um, some stuff happened with in my relationship with my mother that had me deciding to, that I never wanted to talk to her again. Mm-hmm. Um, and prior to that, I mean, again, you know, a lot of this reflection is hindsight. You know, it's not that I was so aware of it in the moment back then, but um, in hindsight, like I can see now... Um, how our relationship, you know, some of the difficult things that happened and the dynamic between the two of us. And I, you know, as I continue to live and, and, and learn and continue to do my own work, like, you know, there's new insights that come every day about the past. It was, as I said, at the end of 2010, that, um, I, you know, something happened and I, I just, I had to cut her out of my life. And what was interesting about that is that I found myself sort of more obsessed with her, even though I thought cutting her out of my life would be the, you know, the answer and I would never have to think about it again. And that wasn't the case. And so being a writer, um, I was doing a lot of journaling on the subject and I was also in therapy and, um, you know, trying all the things to, to fix it. I decided to start studying life coaching. I wasn't doing that because 
of my mother. I was doing it for other reasons, but um, it was in the trainings that I was doing, especially the master coach certification that I did. All of my mother's stuff sort of came to a head and, you know, it was, and I was being coached on it and the insights and the practices and, you know, all the things that I did to address that, it just became, it became obvious to me. And also because I'd been hearing from so many other women that, you know, they also had similar, you know, difficult relationships with their mothers, like, wow, you know, I can't keep this to myself. So there was this life coaching thing going on, but as I, you know, as you know, I'm a writer first and foremost, that's my, that's who I am. And I started writing about it and finding that it was so resonant with other people. I mean, when you said the words mother struggle, I thought, do any of us have a relationship with our mother or even our daughters alive or, or dead that wasn't so fraught? I mean, there's something about the relationship between mothers and daughters. Yeah. Um, what do you, what do you think that is? Well, I've come to see it sort of as a macro and a micro. The macro is that we live in a culture that doesn't value women equally and a lot of other people equally. Um, and again, like, you know, I think patriarchy has become one of those words that I don't know if people really truly understand it. And it's like, ah, oh, blame the patriarchy, you know, watch the handmaid's tale. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, but the point though, is that, you know, if you think about history and how women have been treated over, you know, centuries, if women weren't in line with what was considered okay and appropriate and acceptable for them, you know, back in, in some cases, they were, you know, they were burnt at the stake. They were drowned. They were stoned. They had acid thrown in their faces. And so women have had to bend and contort themselves to be okay, you know, according to the patriarchy. Um, and if you fall outside of that, then you know, your life is in danger. And I think what's happened is that, you know, I mean, there's, there's research now into uh, what's called epigenetics and um, how trauma can be, you know, in our DNA. Yes, we talk about that. So the trauma of being a woman in a culture that doesn't value women equally, right? That's what gets passed down. Right. That fear in the back of their mind is sort of driving the way they are raising their daughters. And, you know, I bet my, my daughter better be okay, according to the current, what's okay for women. And if she's not, she's going to die. <laughs> no, that's, that's so interesting because that for some reason, part of being a mother is keeping your daughter in line so and that even yeah. if you don't think she's going to die that so that she won't be rejected. Correct. Right. So it's like, I know it's like the saying she's going to die is dramatic, but like. No, no, no. But I mean, it, 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 it comes down the generations. So now it might not be that she's going to die, but it might be that she's in some way going to be cast out. Right. And, you know, back when we lived in a more tribal culture, being cast out meant death. Right. And then sort of like in the micro and my, for my example would be that in my maternal lineage, beauty and thinness were the prize. And that if you're not beautiful and thin, you won't get a husband and you'll die. And I have no idea 
you are talking about. Because <laughs> our, neither of our mothers ever cared what we weighed. <laughs> My grandmother, who said to me that she wanted me to be thin, not because she cared how I looked, but because she wanted me to be healthy. And in the context of what you're talking about, I, Karen, I, I, I can't help but think that I guess in her mind, fitting in to society's ideal body for a woman, for her was part of health. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, um, the, I, my grandmother tried to bribe me to lose weight. Um, oh, mine did bribe me. I made yeah, a lot of she money. Sent me, she sent me checks. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's um, all that. We all got it. We all got bribed. Um, yeah. So there, so there's all that. That's like a good sort of mini history lesson on you know why part of why the relationship is fraught because you know at our core, our essence, right? We are humans who want to live authentic lives. Everybody, I think, wants that. And yet, in what we have, it's hard to do that. So the, the one thing then is that the, is the fear, the fear that women have for their daughters in the back of their minds that if they don't fit in, they're going to be rejected. But then add in that inevitably as a daughter grows up, she rebels. I mean, and again, sometimes it's some, you know, some girls don't rebel as much, some rebel a lot. Um, but it's it's sort of that pushing back against, well, I want to wear a mini skirt or I don't care if I'm 10 pounds overweight or 50 pounds overweight or, you know, whatever. And when the daughter pushes back and if the daughter is sort of being successful, there's a jealousy that then creeps up. And I know a lot of women are like, how can my mother be jealous of me? But it's so common. And it's mm. sort of this, well, I didn't get to be free. Yeah, and I didn't get to have the life that I wanted. And so you can't either. You know, I, I don't like to speak for my mother, but my experience was that the happier I became, the healthier emotionally I became, the angrier she seemed to get. And the more she started sort of lashing out at me. You know, at the time it was, it just, I had so much pain around that. I can feel that. Like I can, I can actually feel the pain. You know, I think so many people can. A lot of people we hear from come from families where I guess the mothers were very possibly unprotected as children or didn't learn certain ways of loving as children. And so they really weren't able to protect their daughters or show them love mm-hmm. in a healthy way. Yep. Does that, that's not all mothers, but we definitely hear from a lot of people who've had, you know, who had very traumatic childhood. We are, we are a culture swimming in trauma. Right. I mean, I, I, I've gotten to the point where I pretty much believe that there's nobody who hasn't had some form of trauma. Whether and you know, I think we I think we think of trauma like oh, that's being in a war and being blown up or a horrific car accident. But some of this studying and research that I've been doing over the years, I've really started to find what they call complex PTSD. That's the trauma that comes from the emotional emotional neglect and and being treated poorly. And it's something that it didn't happen once. It's sort of a long term right. 
um, trauma. And, and then understanding that everyone's nervous system is different. And, you know, one child can grow up in a, in a situation and, you know, I'm not saying they skate out and live happily ever after, but like, you know, for whatever reason, they're able to process that in a different right. way. And, and for other people, they, they can't or they don't. And the thing that, you know, our culture, again, this is the patriarchy, right? It prizes intellect and logic and getting over it. Mm-hmm. And nervous systems don't work that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and right, the body, the body remembers even right. what you, even what we want to get over. Right, exactly. There's a book you you guys might be uh, familiar with. It's called Complex PTSD: From Surviving to Thriving by a therapist named Pete Walker. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you what blew my mind when I read that. There's a chart in there where he talks about ways that our nervous system responds when it, when they perceive danger, which is fight, flight, freeze, and fawn, which is another word for people pleasing. Mm -hmm. For some people, their trauma has them get stuck in one of those coping mechanisms. And if, if somebody's coping mechanism that they get stuck in is fight, that can eventually, you know, it's like a spectrum, but at at the far end of the spectrum is narcissism and sociopath. Right. All of us have developed coping mechanisms, some healthy, some not so healthy, you know, based on, you know, the sort of preferred default that our nervous system goes into. Mine tends to be freeze. I'm a fawner. Yeah, and I do fawning too. I mean, we all do all of them to a certain extent. Right. But what blew my mind was because so many so many people, oh, my mother's a narcissist. We point the finger and we blame them. And, you know, narcissism is such a buzzword. And it's like, okay, there's, that's the problem right there. But when I thought to myself, whoa, what if narcissism is the result of somebody's trauma? Hmm right? Not just they're an asshole, right? Like they're, again, not speaking for my mother, but having heard stories that she's told me over the years about how she grew up, I suspect her nervous system's default is fight. Right. right. And what you're talking about, Karen, really helped helps me. I mean, I, ha- I have a mom and, and we're very close, but the relationship is fraught, like most people's relationship with their moms. And I definitely struggle mightily sometimes with it. And, uh, and what you're talking about has gone a long way in helping me heal is realizing that the things, the places where I feel like she's let me down are results of her own complex trauma, you know, and the way that she, the way she has learned to manage so she can survive. Right. And, you know, I mean, sometimes I get a lot of pushback on that, like, well, they should be responsible. They should take, you know, and I agree, like it would be great if they could. And they don't or didn't have um, access to the same resources that we have for whatever reason. I I sort of believe that every new generation has access to wisdom that previous generations maybe didn't or couldn't. And so the way I feel about it, though, is that it's true that I have been in a victim position before. Um, I have been victimized. I understand now why. I understand the context in which it happened. I'm not blaming anymore, 
And I think the thing that I like to say is that I get to do this work. I get to now be the adult, the emotional adult in my relationship with my mom. It's so funny, this whole thing about understanding nervous systems and how they react. Um, you know, I, I will continue to be doing my work for the rest of my life. And it's not like, oh, now I'm an expert and it's all great and then never have any negative emotions. It's That's not true. Like, it's no, still going to be a challenge. And on my birthday, my mom called and I decided to go into quote unquote dangerous territory, dangerous for our nervous systems. I did, but I didn't in the moment, I didn't realize it. It was only afterwards. And what happened was I noticed my nervous system starting to sort of want to freeze and dissociate and, you know, as the conversation moved forward, the tone of her voice became more and more aggressive. And I hung up afterwards. I said to my husband, I'm like, wow, I could feel my nervous system. And then a little while later, I was like, oh, wait a minute. If my nervous system was reacting, so was hers. Right. Mm. And yeah. that really is at the heart of my work is becoming aware. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that awareness... And then, you know, add in some compassion. Mm. Yes. And, and we just came back from working with Kristen Neff well, for a weekend. Wow. And so we're, we're all about self-compassion right now. <laughs> yeah. And I, I've noticed that the more I've, you know, cultivated compassion for myself, the more I have for everyone. We get a lot of questions about this. Even if you have that awareness and understanding and understand that one's mother may be acting out of trauma, you still have a lot of hurt in there. And it's not about tolerating abusive behavior. Of course, right. Saying it's okay, or, you know, that's where boundaries come in. (laughs) How do people deal with the hurt around it? Well, I can tell you how I deal with it. Mm -hmm. Is I feel it. I don't make up stories about it. I don't try to deny it. I don't try to be like, oh, I'm evolved. I don't feel hurt anymore. You know, I feel it. I process it. I acknowledge it. I take responsibility for it. We have these stories that we tell ourselves mm-hmm. about our relationships with our mothers. We, you know, they're, they're stories we tell about ourselves, about her, and about the dynamic. Like, it shouldn't be this way. She shouldn't. I shouldn't. Right. Right. And, you know, those are the, those are the stories that hurt us. Those are the stories that add in extra pain, right? It's like we layer on suffering on top of. Right. Because there's the facts and then there's our interpretation of the facts. Right. And Maggie and I always talk to anxiety sufferers about, you know, people have anxiety stories. Right. About what, what their anxiety has done to them or what they are because of their anxiety or what they're not because of their anxiety. And we try to explain And it's a hard concept. Thoughts are not facts. Right, exactly. And they're so powerful. And, you know, it's not about like trying to say, I'm never going to think that thought again. I I was just talking to a client about this. She's like, how do I get rid of this thought? Her thought is, I'm not far enough along. I'm like, Mm. you're going to think that. You can change your relationship to the thought. And you can, then we can start to create distance from the thought. I'm having the thought that I'm not far enough along oh, wow, look how interesting this is that I'm noticing that I have this thought that I'm not far enough along. Right. And it's also like, look how painful this is to have that thought. 
I, I have a question though. I think that part of what happens with mother-daughter relationships too is that sense of longing that our mothers are who we want them to be or who we've idealized mothers should be. And time and time again, when they fall short of that person who we want them to be, we're hurt all over again. It's like a new wound. Mm -hmm. I guess the way I've been working with that is sort of be like, well, of course she's going to be that way. Yeah. Why am I surprised? Right. Right. And and we do that with anxiety as well. We always, that's why we started with anxiety sisters, because it's very easy to call yourself one of those. Right. Yeah. Of course I'm an anxiety sister. Of course I'm going to feel anxious. That's normal for me. Yeah. But I I mean, I think with, with family relationships, but particularly mothers and daughters, part of it is people get very freshly hurt because, you know, we all long for this ideal mother-daughter relationship, whatever that is in our minds. Right. And that's why grieving that, because I mean, a loss is a loss. Right. Whether she's dead or alive or, but, you know, we're grieving the loss of what we wanted and didn't get. You know, I I think, you know, we've, we've pathologized grief or, you know, made it into this thing that, you know, is bad and we shouldn't have it because, you know, who wants to be snot-nosed crying? But you know what? It's so healthy. It's so good for you. It's hard. Don't get me wrong. It's hard, but it's a beautiful thing. And we have this lie, which is that we don't have time for emotions. Right. And we prize intellect and logic over our body's wisdom, which is our emotions. And that in and of itself is a trauma that we've cut ourselves off from our emotional selves. I think that's a lot of the anxiety story too. I think a lot of anxiety is a result of unresolved grief and trauma. When we're anxious, we're often not feeling anxious. We're nauseous or our heart's racing. It's it's like your body remembering and saying, no, you can't cut off this emotion. Right. You're yeah. going to listen. Totally. Lots of our anxiety sisters grapple with difficult relationships with their mothers or daughters. And they often talk about trying to forgive or to re-engage or, you know what I'm saying? Like they feel like maybe that's the goal. Forgiveness is one of those subjects that is so laden with should. Yeah. And if I do it, what does it look like? And if I do it, am I letting them off the hook? Right. And, you know, those kinds of things. I like to see forgiveness or even just using the word healing as being able to relate to the wound or the whatever you want to call it from a, instead of it being a, a, like a source of suffering, it becomes a source of wisdom. Mm. I, I think we are all hardwired, you know, to use Brene Brown's words, hardwired for connection and love. Yes. We want to love our mothers. We want to love our daughters. It is our emotions that drive our behavior. And so Truly feeling love for my mother, feeling compassion for my mother makes me show up in the relationship in a way that I like and respect myself. It's not about, oh, I forgive and forget. It's about liking and respecting myself. And I guess for some women, that would be then not engaging with their moms or their daughters. Exactly. Like, you know, the question, should I, should I cut her out of my life or shouldn't I? Those aren't the two options. The op- There's so many options. And one of the options is saying, you know what, right now, 
I don't like who I am in this relationship. I don't trust myself to show up the way I, in a way that I like. So I'm taking a break for now versus saying, you've left me no choice. You're a jerk. I can't stand you. Get out. I don't necessarily use the word forgiveness because I think it's pretty loaded, but I think being able to see clearly the situation, mm-hmm. you know, accepting that this is who someone is right now. To me, that's a form of forgiveness too. Totally. There's right. no one way. There's no right way. We have mothers reaching out to us saying like, I don't even understand why my daughter's so angry at me. Mm-hmm. I don't know what happened. Sometimes like, I don't know what happened to this relationship. It used to seem fine to me and now it doesn't. And they're really very puzzled at what's going on. Yeah. Well, that's why I wrote this next book. The one, you know, that's for mothers and daughters. Mm -hmm. I want an advanced copy (laughs) (laughs) and one for my mother. know, my publisher asked me to do it. But what was fascinating is that last Christmas, I'm sitting here, you know, just surfing around on Facebook, and I got a message from a woman who was very angry. And she said something like, you know, you should write a book about difficult daughters and amazing mothers. (laughs) What about difficult daughters? I do hear that quite a bit. Yeah. And there are, and I am, I know I'm a difficult daughter. Oh, I am definitely a difficult daughter. So we ended up having this like little sort of back and forth on (laughs) Facebook Messenger. And that conversation is now the preface to the book. Wow. That's great. And it made me realize, you know, there's so much hurt. There's just so much hurt. Yes. And we create so much of it ourselves. I have to say that I think the same is true for anxiety. There is so much anxiety. And a lot of it we create for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And then we blame ourselves like, well, I shouldn't be doing this to myself. And it just, you know, it's just like this spin cycle. Down, down, down. Which is the name of this podcast. That's right. Yes. Finally, somebody somebody got it, Mag. Somebody got it. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Karen, would you be kind enough to read a bit of your your book for our listeners? There's a part that I I picked that I love so much that really, I read it over and over quite a lot, just this few paragraphs, because it really has a lot of meaning for me. It's in chapter four, the the either or chapter. Was that chapter four? Uh, Yes. I believe that true connection is somewhat of a paradox. It's possible when you and your mother are individual autonomous women with your own thoughts, emotions, dreams, and desires. When you know, love, and trust yourself, and she knows, loves, and trusts herself. When you are able to establish loving boundaries based on what you know, love, and trust about yourself, and when she is able to do the same. When the two of you let each other be who you are, the good, the bad, and the ugly. The good news is that your mother doesn't have to participate. She doesn't have to know, love, and trust herself the way you do or the way you think she should. The more connected you become to yourself, the more open you can be to connection with her, no matter where she is on her journey. Emotional separation from our mothers is the solution and the medicine, not the thing that needs to be fixed or healed. We don't need to make peace with it because it is peace. I love that so much. You know, here's the aha. 
our nervous systems, our traumatized nervous systems are the ones having the relationship. Right. Right. That's so interesting. Not our authentic selves. Mm. And so the separation that needs to happen is that, is that sort of untangling of she's responsible for how I feel, or I'm responsible for how she feels. And like, who am I? And who is she? Who are we as separate beings? I think for a lot of us moms and daughters, we're supposed to be so connected that we're not autonomous. My mom, she's more than just this person who, who raised me. Do you know what I'm saying? She's, she's this person I'm connected to. I feel like there's still an umbilical cord there sometimes. It's infuriating. <laughs> and, and, and I think that the same is true with daughters. It's like, you know what I mean? Like that relationship, it's like you represent each other. Yeah. And I think that that's so, that's challenging. One of my little pet peeves is when, when I hear a mother say about her daughter, she's my mini me. Uh, Like, no, she's herself. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's complicated. It is really complicated. You know, your children do feel like a piece of you, but by the same token, if you want to be a good parent, I truly believe you have to remind yourself that they are their own people. We always like to ask our guests to talk a little bit about their own anxiety journeys because it resonates with so many women in our sisterhood. So would you be willing to share a little bit of that? Absolutely. I don't remember being anxious a long time ago. It felt to me like my anxiety sort of came on maybe around the time that I, my hormones started shifting into perimenopause. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just remember feeling so desperate and so resistant and I don't want this get rid of it please do anything get rid of it and I tried all these different things I did do some EMDR and internal family systems therapy with the same therapist it's dealing with eye movements it's weird you're like what the heck is this but it's a it's a it's a form of a trauma therapy yeah it was surprisingly effective and I think what it what the result was sort of overall was that I don't beat myself up for being anxious anymore. And as a result, I'm able to relax. <laughs> right. That's so great. That's it right there, Karen. That's what we want for all of our anxiety sisters is to stop beating themselves up about having this disorder. And then all of a sudden, paradoxically, it becomes less of a disorder. Yeah, it's so crazy. One of my mentors is the head of the life coach school. Her name's Brooke Castillo. And one of her phrases is life is 50 50. And when you can accept that, that like, it's not going to be all rainbows and roses and unicorns, that it's going to also be shame and anxiety and guilt and fear. Mm -hmm. 50 50. Yeah. That's a pretty good proportion. So I'm going to just end our discussion by saying that I'm really excited about your memoir you're working on. Can you just tell our audience really quickly what you're working on? It's so good. It's called a, well, I should say this is like the working title. Yes. Because <laughs> we knows? know all about those. Yeah. <laughs> a letter to the daughter I chose not to have. I very purposely did not have children. I never wanted children. The title of the book refers to the fact that when I, the very first time I had sex, I got pregnant and I had an abortion. And so it was, as I said, a very deliberate choice. I don't know if it was a daughter, but I'm taking, you know, creative license there Mm. um, to sort of, you know, let her know, you know, why I made those choices. 
Oh. I cannot wait to read that book. I yeah, think it's me too. Be one thing about your writing, Karen, it's so honest. It's searingly honest. I mean, you go there. <laughs> um, and Maggie and I try to do the same. It's because, you know, we really look up to writers who are not afraid to just, you know, be themselves and say their truth. And, and we really feel like you do that in your work. It's incredible. Thank you. I really am taking that in. <laughs> Difficult Mothers, Adult Daughters is the must read. We put that on our site uh, under resources. It's also on our Facebook page many times. Uh, and we'll probably do that again very soon. And then the new book coming. Tell me the title, Karen. The Difficult Mother-Daughter Relationship Journal, A Guide for Revealing and Healing Toxic Generational Patterns. Coming out January 14th of 2020. We will definitely be putting that up in our resources section too. If I may say, I am running a free sort of online book club for the month of February for anyone who pre-orders that book. Oh, what a, what a great idea. Okay. That's great. In the show notes that we put out with with the episode, we're going to have all of Karen's links, her handles, so you can get a hold of her on Instagram and Facebook and uh, links to her work. So you don't even have to go to our website. You can just click on it. And also information about her, her group that she's starting for those who pre-order her new work. Karen, thank you so much for joining us. This was, we, we really feel honored. This was a great conversation. You guys, thank you. We have a few announcements. Some of you may know that we have an e-course called Anxiety Rescue. If you are interested in it, go onto our website at www.anxietysisters.com and you'll see information about our e-course on the top of it. And we also have a few spots in our secret sisterhood. We keep the sisterhood very, very small. So we only have three. two, three, three. Is that what we have? We have three spots. Well, there's one person thinking about it. So it's two and a half spots available. Okay, two and a half spots. And then we close it. And then we close it. And that's a secret Facebook group that nobody knows is there. No one knows who the members are. So if you're interested in that, again, you can go onto our website and find out some more about it. Yeah, we charge $5 a month, just like the price of a, not even a latte, like just a plain. No, I mean, I had a coffee yesterday because I was driving for such a long time. I stopped in a Starbucks. And it was five forty nine for a pretty small, you know, one plain. of these crazy. Yeah, it wasn't plain, but it was still. I was like five forty nine. Yeah, yeah. So for five dollars, even not even forty nine cents a month, you can be in this group. These are some of the most supportive women. They're the imagine. best. They're the best. They're- that's a mags and I are in there every single day. So you get us too. You can find us on Facebook and on Instagram and even on Twitter and on our website at www.anxietysisters.com. As always, if you have feedback, please, please email us abs and mags at anxietysisters.com. And if you are enjoying the podcast, it would be so great if you could leave us a review on SoundCloud or iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast so we can get the word out to more anxiety sisters. We are now over 120,000 strong and growing. Thank you so much for joining us. And remember, anxiety sisters don't go it alone. No, they don't. They don't go it alone. What do they do, Mag? They do it together. Yes, we hold each other up. We hold each other up. Women supporting women and men. You're listening to The Spin Cycle, an Anxiety Sisters production. Copyright 2019.
all rights reserved.